coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting. The International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, if you are a nature lover, and especially if you love hummingbirds, you're going to just love our show today. Our guest, Noelle Izzy, is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, author, speaker, award-winning graphic designer, and renowned NATO journalist. She captures contemporary visual reality with her camera and combines wildlife anecdotes and facts to encourage every person's potential to connect with and preserve nature. Her passion for nature and wildlife photography stems from her research and study of the wisdom of the animal world, animal symbolism, and animal totems. Noelle says that we can discover the extraordinary within the ordinary right in our backyards. Her book, The Hummingbird That Answered My Heart's Calling, is a testament to this power of nature and its ability to teach, heal, and reconnect humans to their true human nature. This book is, I would say, it's so gorgeous. It makes such, it makes such a great gift to give someone or to even to yourself. And it would be such a sweet gift to give on Valentine's Day. It is over 40 full-colored photographs and a custom-designed book cover and interior pages. To her delight, a segment on her experience with Artemis, the hummingbird, was featured in the United States Humane Society publication, All Animals. But Noelle's commitment to nature goes well beyond her work as a NATO journalist. She's leading a crusade to recognize and protect the four power pollinators, bees, birds, butterflies, and bats. As the pollinator queen, she is a special advocate for the pollinators, offering advice on how to build a hummingbird-friendly backyard habitat, ways to give back to the bee nation, and methods for protecting and supporting these essential creatures that are crucial to our food chain. Noelle's immediate focal focus is on the bee population, which has been disseminated by a mysterious die-off not fully identified by scientists. Her goal is to help people see bees for the value partners that they are, harmonious, integrated, unified creatures working timelessly for the greater good. She she really works to educate many adults and children as possible using her company. Now, I love this name of her company. It's called Be Evelyn. So 
uh, it's B-E-E, you know, like the B, as a tool funding more research to serve and give back. Noel perceives the loss of any aspect of nature, a spiritual loss, as well as a natural one. She spreads her message by spiritual pollination. Welcome to our show, Queen Pollination. I'm <laughs> Noelle Izzy. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, there's a, a lot of uh, wisdom to be learned today. Uh, now, when you first uh, started watching this little hummingbird, what was actually going on in your life at the time? Um, well, we, the country and the world at large was um, experiencing the market crash of 2008. So, um, you know, as most of us can recall that we're in the working world and, um, you know, trying to survive, uh, we were seeing housing market crash, the stock market crash, people losing their homes, people losing their, you know, jobs and cars. And um, so I was sort of in the midst of that, in that I wasn't specifically losing my home or my job, but at the time um, I had just started my own company. Uh, I left Warner Brothers um, as a graphic designer to start my own boutique design firm. I had purchased my own home a couple years prior. Um, not a bad loan, the standard 30-year fixed with money down. Uh, and I was sort of on my way to entrepreneurship at the time, and the market crashed. And suddenly, everybody's lives were sort of crashing around me, and I fell victim to the what-ifs. What if... What if I lose my home? What if I can't maintain this, you know, fledgling client base that I'm developing? What if I lose my car? What if what if I lose everything? Everybody else's, you know? And it sort of became just this um, very self-absorbed kind of um, essence, and I started to experience horrible, horrible panic attacks and anxiety attacks and if you know anybody out there has ever experienced these you you really feel like you're about to meet your maker I mean it's you feel like you're having a a bona fide heart attack and I've never experienced this before so you know it was one of those out-of-the-box things and of course I went to the doctor and he said you know good news this this can't kill you but you know we can certainly help you with whatever you know if you need any kind of um, pharmaceutical to help. And I wasn't really there yet. I just thought this was a calling for a sort of um, rebalancing of my life. Pardon me? I said a wake-up call. Yeah, it was was a wake-up call. And um, so I did, you know, my, my nature walks, and I sort of sent it out to that cosmic, you know, energy that is if there's, there's any way to heal me, to help me through this, to help me understand it, you know, show me. And I'm I'm a willing participant here. And this bird showed up. That was the answer to to the calling. And for three months I was 
um, privy to watching her build her nest and and incubate her egg, her one and only egg, and, you know, finally, you know, mother the little f- bird and then turned fledgling. And I watched this process for about three months and I did, you know, journal and it was very personal. It wasn't anything that I ever thought I would share publicly. It was just a very personal journey and I was experiencing and kind of observing what was going on. And there were so many parallels with with humans and, uh, you know, the way nature, the nature world around us raises their, their babies and how they nurture them and, and take care of them and encourage them when they're ready to, to go, you know, and face the world on their own. And it's, it was just a very beautiful experience. And before I knew it, you know, one day would pass and no anxiety attack, pass, no anxiety attack, a month no anxiety attack and it was like suddenly I'm saying to myself I'm I'm not yeah whoa I'm sleeping at night and um, so more than anything at that time this was a few years ago at that time it was simply a, a deep sense of gratitude I ended the journey when they fledged both mom and baby and it was it was quite um, emotional for me because I I really feel like I developed a relationship with them. And, you know, it's they call it anthropomorphizing, you know, an animal where you kind of um, project human emotions and feelings on on an animal. And, you know, people can call it that. That may be what it was, but I know that my healing was due to this awakening, this opening, this realizing that the world doesn't revolve around just the humans. We're all connected to everything around us. And if you just stop and notice, appreciate, take in the beauty, your life changes. And it literally changed my life. Well, I had the same experience in our backyard. It was a raven family. And I watched them raise the little raven, and I watched them, you know, teach the raven how to fly. And then he hung around. I I even looked up, you know, uh, how come he didn't have a mate? So I had to look up because he was like a teenager, and he's really noisy. We named him Big Mouth. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, I I read it. it takes a couple of years for them to mate. So this year he made it, and he has his own little baby, Big Mouth. It's just, it's magic. I know. And how many people you know? take time to notice that? It's it's um, not many. And that's where this kind of, um, I don't know, it, my life over time took a little bit of a different direction in that as I observed Artemis, and that was the name of the mother hummingbird in the book, um, as I observed Artemis back and forth, you know, day after day, um, the way she would come back to the nest and her, her beak would just be bathed in bright yellow pollen. And I knew that she was out and about, you know, infusing that pollen into hundreds, if not thousands of flowers. And while she was gathering the nectar for her her survival and her baby's survival 
in this in the process she was proliferating the growth of flowers and other plant life out there and there was such a a perfect balance and i started to recognize where humans they they teeter on balance it's such a fragile thing that we put ourselves through and during a crash everything just sort of lost its balance my balance of thinking and being able to sort of ground myself through the good times quote unquote and the bad and i realized wow these these birds nature are just they are the perfect um mirror i mean if we could just mirror their their lives we would be in such a better state in our in our world and especially the pollinators because if you think about it you look at the bees you look at the birds the bats our nighttime night shift pollinators our butterflies those four power pollinators every time they go out and collect the pollen that that uh contributes to their survival they're giving back equally and it's it's perfect back and forth ebb and flow and i just started to appreciate that more and more and felt like wow you know i would love to to help other people recognize these small little things that make such a big difference and then when you start to see colony collapse disorder or the vanishing bee syndrome with with the bees ccd and oh, I know. We've, you know it's we've had a couple yeah. of uh, guests on that subject yeah i mean it's like suddenly you're looking around saying you know these are our these are powerful powerful beings on this planet and we're losing them by that you know 40 to 100% of of beekeepers lost their hives last year alone according to the center of food and safety these bee colonies in north america and europe are just dying off and the scientists don't have an absolute cause but there is we do know that uh pesticides out there are killing bees at alarming rates so what does that say what what are we doing to our natural habitat and when you consider a third of our our crops our food comes from our pollinators especially the honeybees what does that say about our food supply i know even uh, i just uh, signed a petition uh for lowe's and uh, home depot mm-hmm. to stop selling yeah. the pesticides that kill the bees and the butterflies so there are people that are fighting for them including you so, yeah, actually, I, yeah, I saw that um, that petition, and um, you know what's happening is they're they're selling the 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 plants and not informing the consumer that there might be harmful pesticides within the plant itself. So GMO. I say, yeah, well, it's it's the pesticides. They're 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 called neonics. That's short for neonicotinoids. And those are the pesticides that are the sweeping pesticides that um, a lot of these, you know, big companies are their their foliage that they bring into their their stores are being um, contaminated with these these pesticides. So the the GMOs that's a 
Well, gosh, that's a story in and of itself. But just the pesticides alone, I mean, what we can do just as consumers, instead of going to um, what's called the, the big box stores, we could support the bees by shopping at local nurseries and farmer's markets. You go into a local nursery and um, there are definitely organic horticulture there. And the, the employees, they work only in this environment. It's not like an employee that, you know, they, there's a small um, foliage area within a gigantic store that sells electronics and swimming pools yeah. and you know what I mean? So you walk and you talk to the employee and you have them direct you to where the organic you know, plant and flowers and there's such a great variety and so you're supporting them in that way and also inquire inquire about seeds versus fully developed plants because, you know, it might take a little while longer to grow but the the risk of having the pesticides is a lot less when you plant seeds and you can take your children out and plant seeds, you know, together and, you know, teach children about cultivating that and what you're doing and how you're supporting the natural world around you. There's a lot of things that we can do to help support the bees in our own backyard. Well, back to your book. I want to know how you named your little hummingbird mother, how the name came about. Artemis? Well, okay, so... um, I know, it's kind of an interesting name, isn't it? Hmm. So one day um, I was going through um, these, I don't know, have you ever heard of Doreen Virtue? Yes. Okay. I just saw her a couple weeks ago. Oh, wonderful. So you know that she's very into like the uh, angel cards and goddess cards and, you know, uh, divine energy and help. Well, I had her her goddess cards and I I always liked looking at the different um, goddesses from different cultures of years and years, you know, past. And um, so this was after, you know, the hummingbird showed up and her nest was right outside of my, my bedroom. And I could always, you know, if I was in there, I could see her. And, you know, I remember just one night sort of thinking, gosh, I feel like I need to name you. What, what, what would I name you, though? I mean, how can I just come up, you know, Jan or Michelle or something like that, you know? <laughs> well, how about the goddess card? Maybe she, you know, I could look at her as sort of a, a goddess. So I just grabbed my cards and I shuffled them and I pulled out a card and it was Artemis. Now, Artemis, which was just the irony in and of itself, is the goddess guardian of nature. And oh, wow. I know, you know, it was really strange because I thought to myself, well, would it be pretty to have like one of those, you know, Greek goddess names like Athena, you know? But here's what was so beautiful about pulling this card and saying, okay, I'm going to name her Artemis. She's the guardian, is that she was a fierce guardian. She was a fierce protector. I watched her when she, when the winds would blow. And up where I lived, we get these Santa Ana winds, and they would blow 40, 45 miles an hour. And literally the branch that she was on would blow so hard that the branch would literally be parallel 
to the ground. And she was like like a buoy in a hurricane, just, you know. And that bird and her nestling were completely safe. And the morning would emerge, and I would look out, and it would be totally calm out. And she would just sort of be looking around like, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, there was wind last night. We survived. Thank you for caring, you know. And so she was a fierce guardian of her her home and her, you know, her nestling and her life. And it fit so well. And so it stuck. That was that was Artemis. And I'll, I'll never I'll never look at another little hummingbird without that name sort of coming to mind, you know. And that's how she she got her name. Well, they're fearless. Um, I've seen a hummingbird in my backyard chase off a blue jay. I mean, they don't want a big bird coming in their territory. Right. So they're fearless. Yeah. For a little tiny yeah. thing. So it was pretty wonderful. It was uh, that that definitely uh, fitting and appropriate for her. That was perfect how you named her too, and those cards mm-hmm. simply always amaze me because they always come up yeah. with exactly what it's supposed to be. Yep, exactly. So I totally trusted it. Like, okay, yep. You know, I'm not going to try to go another route and think, oh, because I had never even heard of the the um, goddess Artemis. So when oh. I saw the card in the name, I was like, oh, that's a really interesting name. It's not like Fufu and you know, it's it's you know what I mean. It's like you yeah. think of the old delicate hummingbird, but really, as I got to know this this little feathered being, boy, she was she was a power pollinator. She was a powerful little being. She was so, you know, it was all good. So your book started out as a journal. Sounds like. So mm-hmm. how did it uh, evolve from a journal into? creating a book well um i had the the written journal which was just kind of like my it was almost like a meditation and at the same time i was taking pictures lots and lots of pictures because it was it was so easy to do you know i was self-employed so i worked from home at the time and so every so often i'd go out and sort of see what was going on and you know just sort of photo journal it and it wasn't until gosh a couple maybe a year and a half later and this was all just sort of filed away when when it was when it was over and I was able to just sort of take in the experience be very very thankful for how this bird opened my eyes to the glory around me I mean every time I went for walks after that I noticed hummingbird nests and I noticed blackbirds, and I noticed, you know, quail. Like, it just opens your heart and eyes to all this around you. Like, that was just a vague backdrop to your life, and suddenly, you know, this stuff was sort of, quote-unquote, appearing. So I filed, you know, the the journal and the, the photos away and went on with my life. And one day, I was on the phone with my mom, And she just out of the blue said, hey, did you ever um, do anything with all those pictures and, you know, that you took of of Artemis? And um, 
you know, because everybody knew I named her Artemis for three months. And and I said, no. And she said, wow, you know, because I had some of the photos out just, you know, in my home because they, you know, I loved them so much. And she said, you know, you should think about putting something together, you know, a book or something cohesive. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, I, I just started this business, my graphic design business, and I'm really focused on that. And I thought to myself, gosh, the last thing I... I have time for us to sit down and write a book. But it was a strange, nagging, once she said that, there was this strange, nagging thing that this voice kept saying, well, why, why don't you? I mean, this could, this could be something that when you share it with people, they might, and then my voice would say, but I don't have time. I don't know what to do with this. And I remember one time being in the shower washing my hair, and I'm arguing with myself, you know. The voice is saying, this would be a really cool book. And myself, you know, replying back, I don't have time. And by the way, I've never written a book. And I wouldn't know where to begin. And how do I lay all this out? This is just a personal journal. And literally, the, this, this voice or knowing in my mind said, print out all of your photographs lay them out on your living room floor, and the story is there. And I thought, okay. So when I had time, I printed out 150, 175 photographs, and I laid them out chronologically, took out my journal, and the story was right there in front of me. All it was about was just kind of putting it into a more compact, you know, kind of format. But the story was there from beginning to end. And so in my quote-unquote spare time, I just, it was almost like meditation for me again. I would, you know, stop my regular work day when I was working with clients, and I would give myself permission to just start writing, writing the story and putting the, the photographs with it. And it took about, I don't know, six months to nine months before it was something really cohesive and from there, it just kind of gained momentum and turned into a book. Well, I was reading the, uh, some of the reviews on your book, and uh, one lady said that she went on your journey right along with you. She felt like she was on the journey while she was reading mm-hmm. the book, and it mm-hmm. was very inspirational. And then um, somebody else wrote, uh, it's the next Jonathan Seagull. Oh, it could be. Yeah, well, that's a that's a um, a big uh, what is that um, something to follow? Big steps to follow in. But I've absolutely loved Jonathan Livingston Siegel. I still have my copy from. I can't even tell you how long ago. But you know that that story was a very simple kind of journey for the the um the author and uh you know it had a just a, a message of a, a very powerful yet um timely or timeless message and i think that's what this book is is it's endure because the message is to seek the goodness in life and hummingbirds are notorious for that and it, even if you think about them, 
in terms of like the literal aspect of a hummingbird. I've seen a hummingbird. I've been walking down a sidewalk that has been cracked and it has, you know, chain link fences. It's not like this beautiful garden. And I remember seeing a flower growing up out of the crack in the sidewalk. And I almost literally ran into this hummingbird because it just shot down into the sidewalk and started, you know, get, you know, going into the, the center of the flower and getting the nectar. And it didn't matter that this wasn't, you know, this beautiful garden of flowers. It didn't matter that the sidewalk was cracked and, you know, worn down and, you know, weeds were growing around the perimeter. It didn't care. It looked for, it went right to the sweetness and the beauty of life, no matter what was around it. And that is a huge message here because while we're still here, on earth and we're living this human life, there's going to be challenges. Earth is a learning planet. It is the potential for great growth and evolution. And that doesn't always mean it's easy. We don't always accept learning through wisdom. People have a tendency to want to learn through adversity. And so, and so it shall be. We will learn through adversity. But the hummingbird teaches us that while we may experience that periphery thing that isn't, you know, doesn't appear to be so aesthetically beautiful, we can find the beauty in life. And when we do, stop and appreciate it because it's free. That's the great thing. You walk outside and the beauty of our natural environment is free of charge. Oh, well said. Uh, the symbol of of the hummingbird I've read is transformation. Mm-hmm. Well, um, hummingbirds, they're, they're kind of like, um, it, they're, they're called like the spiritual messengers, you know, they're the flying jewels of the divine. So um, I know that everything transforms when we talk about um, the power pollinators, the, the ones that I sort of focus on, one of the power pollinators being the butterfly is kind of how I look at real rebirth and transformation and renewal and moving through life cycles and because it goes from a caterpillar and literally transforms into a completely different, you know, being. And so I... You know, it's interesting because Almost a like lot an of alchemist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, part of um, what I do on, you know, my website and part of what my work is, is blogs that help to, with, through my photography, help to tie in the symbolism of animals and nature and how they relate to human beings. And all animals have a symbolic nature about them. It's not just, you know, the literal aspects of, of a raven. But if you, if you understand its symbolism um, and kind of its, that, that spiritual nature, you'll see that every creature on this earth has something to teach human beings. They're not here on accident. In fact, 
they've agreed to be here with us to share this journey alongside of us. And who are we to destroy them? You know, who are we to destroy their habitat or create poisons, toxins that, you know, they, they aren't able to survive because they're, they contribute so much to this planet, so much to us. Yeah, we're, we're in partnership with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is a, a powerful, um, you know, we're at a precipice here where we, if we get a, the coalition of the willing, you know, um, and that's how I kind of look at where, where I'm and what I'm doing and kind of being this advocate for the power pollinators is if there's a coalition of the willing, and I'm talking about just your everyday person, not big, gigantic organizations, and I love that they're doing their work too, you know, like you talked about the, um, the petitions for Home Depot and Lowe's, and, but even just the, you know, the person, your neighbor, the person down the street, how we can cultivate a pollinator-friendly environment so that not only are we showing them literally that they, we want them to be here with us, but we're showing them symbolically and spiritually that they belong here and we appreciate them. So, you know, help create that habitat in your backyard. Plant those beautiful flowers that attract the butterflies and the hummingbirds and the bees and, you know, if, if you're, you know, someone isn't allergic to, to a bee sting, you know, put in the far corner of your backyard, you know, a starter kit, you know, a beehive. And uh, there's so many things that we can do to contribute to their well-being. And they're wonderful. I mean, to have beautiful foliage in your backyard that attracts hummingbirds and and bees and butterflies it's just like it's a magical garden you can create i know um some species uh some butterflies uh, are dying off as well as the bees yeah we um we actually had um the herbicides uh the herbicide it's called um roundup have you heard of roundup yeah. Yes, okay, yes. the widespread use of Roundup um, is creating a disappearance of milkweed, um, which is what butterflies feed off of, monarchs. And the Worldwide Wildlife Fund, uh, in 2013, the report from Mexico showed that the number of monarch butterflies wintering there this last year was at its lowest in 20 years. And they're contributing it or attributing it to the herbicides. And um, it's decrease, decreasing the availability of their primary food source, which is the milkweed. So it's, it's all this stuff that humans are doing that they may or may not be fully aware of the consequences. But worse, if they are aware and they don't care, um, it's really tragic. It's really tragic. Our bats, you know. I know. Bats, I, I didn't even think about bats. Oh my gosh! As, a, as being yeah, a pollinator, but. Mhm. Go ahead. 
Oh no, they're they're yeah, they're they're also part of the pollinator family, the night shift pollinators. Yeah, because they uh, like fruit. Because after I, you know, I read bats and I thought, oh, I have not thought about bats being a pollinator, but they do. They eat fruits, so they mm-hmm. the fruit trees and the berries, and so I can see that. Yeah, and agave nectar. I mean, that's becoming a a really big product in in the states. Is agave nectar. People use it, you know, in replace of um, sugar. You know, it's a sugar substitute. It's all natural. Um, syrup for their pancakes and actually um, the agave plant is what uh, they make tequila out of yeah. so those of you you know out there that enjoy a nice margarita you know and bats are oh my gosh that's the habitat destruction for bats is I mean it's horrible the, they say the greatest threat to bats is people and uh, habitat destruction the fear that people have um, with regards to bats makes it a lethal combination. You know, in some areas, people are setting fires in caves and killing thousands of roosting bats. So and I know and they go on bridges and they kill the ones that are on bridges, that are underneath bridges. Yeah. So, and so, you know, in, 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 you know, you think about how bats have been... Um, portrayed over the years and you know you think of the vampire bats and you know the vampire bats do exist but they actually only feed off cattle and you know they don't they don't go and suck the blood of humans so I don't know it's I think there's a little bit to be said for teaching our children the the true essence of all of of all of these you know animals that have been over time portrayed in folklore in certain ways, you know. They're important, very important to the planet. Well, um, your book uh, is an educator in itself because I read the reviews on your book and and, uh, one person said that uh, uh, her little eight-year-old sits down and reads your book and I thought, what an educate factor for children so she said her little eight-year-old loved your book, The Hummingbird That Answered My Heart's Calling. So your book is for all ages, and, and you can help educate people with it as well as inspire them. So yeah, are you, you know, as you're talking, because I know you're interested and you you know about um, animal totems, are you mm-hmm. going to make cards? I could just see you making cards with, because you, you talked about Doreen Virtue's cards but I could see you making some type of cards around animals. Well, um, interesting. Um, my company, Benevolent, there is a line of products. Um, if you know, for anybody who's interested, if you just sort of stay tuned to Benevolent and kind of keep it in on your radar, um, I have a series of children's books that are. Um, going to be uh, released and it's the this series of books is specifically about a honeybee and um, and there's several book, books on her journeys and the thing about um, nature and wildlife is um, everything has something 
to to teach us. And so when we teach our children that, um, okay, so for example, the hawk. When we see the hawk in a cartoon or an animated film, we always see it being this really scary predator. And this hawk is coming down and it's talons are about to get the little village of nice little people living, you know what I mean? So the portrayal of, for example, the hawk is always a fierce predator that's frightening. Well, red-tailed hawks, for example, hawks mate for life, nests together, the male and the female, and they stay together for life. And each year, they go to the same nesting ground and they build the nest together. They hunt and they take turns, you know, nurturing and feeding their babies. They teach their babies to fledge. And they live their life out like, you know, married couples, married human couples. And they're nurturing and they're, they're committed and, um, you know, faithful, if you will. And they're... They're wonderful creatures in helping to um, maintain um, a habitat on the ground whereby if, if even if people if there's crops out there that are being disturbed by disturbed by an overabundance of field mice or whatever, you know everything has its its place here on earth in the cycle, and so my books are going to teach children about those kind of creatures out there that, that kind of get a little bit of a bad rap and and I'll be able to sort of shed a new light so that, you know, when the kids and dad and mom are hiking, you know, up in the mountains and they see a hawk, they can recognize it and say, wow, that hawk, I know its mate is somewhere around here and they're going to be together till death do us part. Isn't that cool? You know, so there's going to be um, associated products, um, baby onesies that are going to have our little honeybee that, you know, kind oh. of brings that awareness. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. So um, there's going to be some really cool little products that come out when all of this kind of gains a little bit of ground. And uh, so I'm excited and, you know, it's one of those things kind of keep it in on your radar because it'll, it'll well, be I out there for I mean, my, mind, my mind's going a mile a minute. I can see all kinds of things you could do. Yeah. I bet your mind's going a mile a minute too. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it, it, I, I find, you know, this journey to be really, you know, an exciting one because hopefully, you know, it'll just create awareness. You know, it'll soften the hearts of, of people, and you know, it starts with children. Our our new generations, our up and coming generations, are going to be the decision makers on this planet. And my hope is that they will make better decisions for everything around them, not just themselves. They will take into consideration the connectedness and the interdependence of everything on this planet, and hopefully create a better world. We'll probably all be gone, but create a better world for themselves. Yeah, they have 
I hope the next generation, because they have more um, like computers and things, they can they can see things that we're doing that affects somebody on the other side of the world. So, sure. I mean, they're at an advantage to be able to do that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, like and who knows children. what technology will will emerge. Like children that's, that's never seen an elephant, they can go on the computer and they can see the elephant and and see how wonderful it is. I mean, there's there's opportunity for them to um, be the next generation that makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So have you have you thought about audio books? <laughs> I'm just like, oh. um, gosh, <laughs> audiobooks. I don't know. I mean, who knows? You know, storytelling is fun. I, uh, one of the, um, one of the, I, it, this is going to sound strange, but one of the best compliments I've ever gotten in terms of like this kind of, um, thing that I do is, um, my husband once said to me, and this was around the time that we first met, and, um, you know, I kind of always had, like, I'd come up with the names of, you know, creatures we'd see out on our hikes and our skiing ventures or whatever. And I remember one day he turned to me and he said, you know, your oddities are your greatest asset. (laughs) I was like, okay, wait, let me, hold on a second. Thank you? Like, it was almost like a question. Thank you or thank you? My oddities are my greatest asset. So, I don't know. I've always been kind of like a um, a storyteller. I like to, you know, tell stories when, you know, when you're little and all of your cousins or your friends are having a sleepover and they say, okay, you know, someone tell a story, you know. And I, I was always willing to just kind of think of something silly and whatever and, you know, they'd come back for more time and time again. So, who knows, you know, audio books Well, I was thinking for, about your, your voice. Your voice is just so ideal uh, for oh. that. I mean, oh, thank so you. I thought, oh, you'd be perfect for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I'll have to consider that. <laughs> I do like audio books. So maybe that's your they're next great. venture. <laughs> yeah, they're great for long-distance drives, I'll tell you that much. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, um, are you involved uh, with any of the groups that are crusading for the bees or the butterflies, or are you just doing your own thing? Um, Which is wonderful, well, I, by the way. Well, thank you. Well, um, one of the the organizations, the North American Pollinator Protection Campaign, they're based out of San Francisco, California. So, um, you know, when when books are sold, um, a percentage of the proceeds goes to that research. But eventually, I would like um, to be able to do a lot more um, financially through benevolent. So right now, it's kind of just supporting um, through, you know, a percentage of the proceeds of the book sales go to the pollinator protection campaign. And they actually, it's, you know, hummingbirds and bees and, you know, they follow up on the research and so on and so forth. But eventually, 
I would like to see benevolent be in a position to actually subsidize, do something major whereby it's a money issue, you know, and it does seem like it's always a matter of let's cut corners, let's mass produce so that we can generate more money. And I'm talking about just sort of the greed aspect of things. When you start destroying the things around you in order for for financial gain or to cut corners, to, to not do things properly with care and compassion, and it's all about greed, then you start to wonder, okay, so the beekeepers or the farmers or anything else out there that says, you know, we would love to have an all-organic crop and not charge the consumer twice. I mean, it just doesn't seem to make sense that to buy something that doesn't have genetically modified ingredients or harmful pesticides that are harmful to the, the insects, and then we're feeding this to our children, we're feeding this to ourselves. To have something, quote-unquote, organic would seem like that shouldn't cost more money. And I, I don't know, but it does. So if it's about subsidizing, you know, farmers or agriculture in some way where they say, we don't have the money to have all organic. We have to do it this way because the demand of the American people, and I'm speaking specifically of the United States, the consumer wants so much. The consumer needs so much food, but really we don't. If if we mirror nature, nature only takes what it needs and no more and no less. If we were a less consumer-based society, then maybe we could go all organic and it wouldn't cost, you know, these farmers so much to do that. If benevolent can somehow go on its own like these other organizations and build subsidies for farmers whereby we help finance a better um, organic crop, then I would love to do that. I would love to help provide real, whole, organic foods at a, at a, a reasonable price where everybody can afford it, not just those who can, you know, go to Whole Foods and spend $20 on a bag of oranges. You know what I mean? Well, you know what I see happening in my area, that the more of the just regular grocery stores, even Walmart, are starting to carry more and more and more organic because people are demanding it. Mm-hmm. So. I, my, I, I, what I want to make sure is that when they say, because I don't know if you know, but there's oh, now, you know, suddenly you get these these very like kind of blurred lines between what you can call organic and what you can't call organic. So, you know, my, my idea of organic is it's like going out to my own backyard and planting, you know, all of my own crops with no um, pesticides 
and just pulling up out of the ground after I've watered and nurtured them, you know, that to me is organic. But, but you know, we don't know what like USDA or, or um, the FDA, what, how committed they are to that word organic. And so well, I know that's you another can't go thing. natural. You can't use the word natural yeah. because natural is not organic. Exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, it's it's just one of those things where, you know, people have to be really inform themselves and be on top of it. You know, I love that. You know, sometimes when I'm running into Walmart for you know some swimming towels, I go by and I see that there's you know, organic options, and it's like, wow, this is great. This is great. This is, you know, moving in the right direction. And, you know, with regards to honeybees, we have to be really careful because there are so many honeys out there that are not considered honey. There are more than three-quarters of the honey sold in the United States grocery stores aren't exactly what bees produce. There's tests done by the Food and Safety News that commercial food suppliers are knowingly distributing ultra-filtered honey, which is like an extreme process that removes up to 100% of the natural pollen in honey. Well, honey is a medicinal product. Honey is, um, you know, the only food made by insects that humans can eat. It's a wonderful, wonderful food, and it's being manipulated. And when they find that there's absolutely no pollen in the honey, they cannot guarantee that it's legitimate and safe. Wow. So yeah, and they say honey thing. goes up, can, um, after a certain amount of time, it's probably the honey you're talking about, um, can not to give it to uh, infants because it could be poisonous. Yeah. So, I mean, there... There's the, well, I the commercial. think we should buy local honey if we can. You know, the honey that's made by our local people. Oh, plus, plus it helps your allergies because the the um, the local bees uh, are in the um, foliage or the plants and uh, flowers that we have in the area, so it helps build up our immunity. Absolutely, absolutely. So. You know, to manipulate honey, it's just like another one of those, oh, my gosh, really? Really? You know? Well, yeah, when I read that you shouldn't give honey to an infant because it could be poisonous, I thought, well, what about us? So, um, and I say support the uh, farmer's markets, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Local growers, local farmer's markets. And what's great is you can... You know, you can be asked them, you know, so where do you stand with the pesticides, you know, and they'll be perfectly honest with you. You can't go into, you know, a big conglomerate and ask them to tell you about, you know, their pesticide practices or, you know, to go to a beekeeper, to go visit um, a local beekeeper is not only one of the most amazing experiences because, you go and you see these hives and they tell you what these bees are doing. You know, you watch them and you're mesmerized. It's like watching, like, fire 
where you just stare at it. You watch a, a hive of bees behind a glass where, you know, you're able to see how they're interacting and what all of their movements mean. It is absolutely fascinating. So to go to, to a local beekeeper and take a tour is just one of the best things in the world, really. And then to go and support them and buy the honey there, it's really, it's just, it's saying so much and it's being so supportive. And, you know, commercial pressures and unstable bee populations um, have made raising bees less attractive, but we still rely heavily on domesticated honeybees to pollinate our crops and gardens. So we have to support those local beekeepers. And it's a great tour for children. It's a great yeah, little outing for local, kids. Yeah, our local beekeeper, uh, the schools bring their uh, classrooms in. To, well, let's. we're running out of time. Uh, give out your website and... Um, it's B Nevelin. Yeah. So that's B E E, like the B. Dash. Nevelin. Yeah, there's N E V O L E N T dot com. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you have a blog on your website which gorgeous pictures and uh, you've got I mean that's just wonderful for people to to visit And we want you to everyone out there to know that her the name of her book that we've been talking about is The Hummingbird That Answered My Heart's Calling. And I introduced, introduced Noelle as um, Noelle Izzy, but your book is actually uh, Noelle M. And how do you pronounce Mead? Mead. Is it Mead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. M-E-A-D-E. Mead, that's my Yeah. yeah. So. And the book is available on, um, on my website. Um, and, you know, at a 30% discount than, you know, if you got went on to Amazon because it's also available there. But the website um, gives the discount, so it's available and in there. And you give, the, give part of the right. proceeds to yes. uh, a very uh, good cause. Mm-hmm. So, Noel Izzy, we thank you so much for being on our show today, and it's been uh, a wonderful hour. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate you having me on. It was wonderful talking to you. Until next time. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.